0: Hope has a name. We all know what it's like from time to time to lose hope, right? To not have that thing that just kind of seems to sustain us. Some of us have it with regard to our sports teams. They let us down all the time, okay? And that's okay because that's not that big a deal, right? But to have lost hope in life... How tragic is that to not have the hope that is ours through Christ and that hope only comes through those who know Jesus Christ as their personal savior and we know that in the the book of Romans it says uh, in chapter 10 and we're not going to study this specifically this morning but it says so then faith comes by what Hearing. hearing and hearing the what the Word of God. We've been spending some time uh, since the new year began talking about and thinking about the Word of God um, and how that should be our sole authority for faith and practice. But you see, the Word of God is where we contain, we find the hope that we need and the faith that is required to have such kind of hope that is necessary in the world in which we live. It's been necessary ever since Adam and Eve were placed in the garden to have faith in God. So this morning, we're going to talk about having faith when no one else does. Having faith when when no one else does. Have you ever felt like you were the only one in your circle of influence that had faith, that believed? Now, okay, we got to ask this question, right? Because we're talking about faith. Um, And Mark can't give the answer. You know, there's always times that you, as a teacher, you have to say, okay, that particular student can't answer you because they've always given the answer in the past, all right? So um, what is faith? How do we here at Calvary Baptist Church define faith? Last time, Chloe answered it um, for us on a Sunday night, but who wants to give us, who wants to be bold enough to give us the definition of faith? Christine? Christine? Okay, you can't go with that wrong with that definition because we start with that in Hebrews chapter eleven, right? Um, Karen, go ahead. Okay, believing that God is able to do what He says He will do, and ordering our lives accordingly. And God, we don't always see. In fact, we don't often see what God is saying to do, except in the pages of Scripture, right? So we believe that he's going to do, our faith has to have a resting place. We sing that in one of the old hymns, right? My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed, but in the ever-living word of God. Hallelujah for this book. We need this book in our lives. We need it every day, okay? So faith is believing that God is able to do what he says he will do, in his word, and ordering my life accordingly. In other words, when my life doesn't measure up to what the book says, what the word of God says, I must change what? Not the word, but my life. My life must be a reflection of what I'm learning and studying and reading in the pages of scripture. We find that in our story this morning. Now, I I want you to know that this is not a new series that we are beginning, even though we finished 2 Peter last week. Uh, But you know me, I kind of like to do uh, some Bible stories in between series, okay? So we're gonna do a Bible story this morning. It's a great Bible story. It's a Bible story that the kids love hearing in Sunday school, and they, they hear it taught um, here in our church. It's a, but you know what? I think adults love a good story as well, right? I mean, you can be captivated by the telling of an amazing story, and the stories that we find in the pages of scripture, they're not folk tales, They're not things that we made up along the way. They are absolute truth that God chose to put in the pages of Scripture for a specific reason. And this morning, the story we're going to look at is for a reason, to remind us that there are people who have faith, even though the world that you might be living in seems to be a world where faith is lacking. It's not evident. And how do you know faith is lacking? Well, when you're in despair. When you look around and you say, wow, what in the world are we going to do next? Because it's just hard to figure it out. Isn't that the blessing of God's word? The principles found in the pages of scripture are just as good for us today in 2023 as they were when they happened hundreds, thousands of years ago. They are relevant for us today because it is a living book. My faith is found a resting place, not in device nor creed, but in the ever living word. Okay, And we have that word, it makes sense to us, it's meaningful to us because we have that relationship with the author through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who left this world after he accomplished his work on the cross of Calvary and then returned to heaven and kept his promise. What was the promise? To send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now resides in us, he lives in us, and he helps us understand the pages of Scripture. We're going to look at this Old Testament story. And if you've looked at your note page, you may have figured it out by now who we're going to talk about. But our story is about a young man who rose to fame in Israel. Some might say that this story is the beginning of that rise to fame. However, as we'll see in our study this morning, his life of faith did not start here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you have not turned there yet, please take your copy of the scriptures and open to 1 Samuel 17. But actually, his rise to fame, his life of faith, if you will, actually started before 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is a great story. It's a story that I hope will not just say, oh, I I remember reading and learning about that when I was a kid. But I hope it's a study that will cause you to want to have more faith. And how do we have more faith? Well, we live more by the word of God. We get into the word of God more. We study it, we read it, we learn it. We let it become that thing which drives us, which compels us, which encourages us every single day. Let me tell you, about the account of David and Goliath from 1 Samuel chapter 17. We don't have time to read it all, so I'm going to recount the event for you. Um, If you have time later on this afternoon, you can go ahead and take your copy of the scriptures and open up to 1 Samuel 17 and read the story. But let me tell you how the story unfolds. Our story begins with the army of Israel facing off against the army of the Philistines. You know, they were the longtime enemies. If someone were to ask you, who are the enemies of the israelites there's a long list of them but the first one that probably would pop into your mind are the philistines because they just seem to be the one that's just the thorn in the side if you will it just keeps coming back the rock and the shoe you know it's just you know, come on can we get over past these philistines they're always the ones who drag us down so the army of the israelites are facing off against the army of the philistines both sides are geared up for battle Israel's on one mountainside, the Philistines are on the other side, and there's a large valley separating them. And a man referred to as the champion of the Philistines, a giant from Gath, comes out into the valley, and he begins to shoot off his big mouth. And he was, I'm not not judging the guy at all. He had a big mouth because he was a big guy, all right? He was nine foot six inches tall. Can you imagine how big his mouth must have been? You get the idea, right? He had a big mouth, and what came out of that big mouth was not good stuff. He came out and he began to mock the Philist, the, mock the Israelite army. <laughs> Who do you think you guys are? Look at me! I, I, I can take care of my my people. You know, I'm the guy. You don't have to worry about anybody else. Uh, and he began to mock the Israelites. You guys are all short. You're small. You're tiny. You can't. and on and on. And then he went from mocking the people, the Israelite army, to even worse, he began to mock the God of the Israelites. Now, can I tell you this? Mocking the God of the Israelites is not like mocking any other God. You know why? Because the God of the Israelites is the ever-living, true, one and only, real God that there is. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the one who called Israelite from one man named Abram, who changed his name to Abraham, God changed his name to Abraham. We're learning this on Sunday nights. And he made Israel into a nation out of nothing. There was no Israel until God called them out of the seed of Abraham. Not only is the one who brought Israel into existence, he is the very one who, after he created the world that we live in, in six literal days, everything he created, he spoke out of his mouth, and as he spoke it, it came to be. That God is also the same God who keeps it all in order. If there weren't the God of the Israelites, the one true God, we wouldn't have a world that would fall apart. So this God is an amazing God. He is the God of all gods. He's the only true God. And so when Goliath started mocking the God of the Israelites, he was mocking the only God that existed and still exists today, the one true God. And so David happened to be, well, he was there because he was being obedient to his father. His father said, David, I want you to gather some supplies. I want you to gather some of your brother's favorite things, and I want you to take some of the best stuff that we have here, I want you to take it to the battlefront. And I want you to give the care package to your brothers. And I want you to give something to the command, their commanders. You know, he's a father's heart, right? He wants to keep his son safe. So he says, butter up the commander a little bit. Make him feel good. Make him feel happy. And then take this to the king. So David was simply doing what he was supposed to be doing when he heard this big mouth come out and mock the God of the Israelites, and David's first response is, what is going on here? And every time, Goliath, this this happened day after day, um, probably multiple times throughout the day, and so David said, he can't figure it out. And every time Goliath came out, uh, the Israelites kind of just go, oh, not him again. We really don't want to see him again. And and, and so Goliath came out. He issues his challenge. He says, hey, you guys pick one man from your army to come out and face me, and and we'll do battle one against one. Whoever wins, (laughs) you know it's going to be me, he says. Whoever wins, the other army won't die, but they'll be the servants, and the nation will be the servants of the other nation. You know, doesn't that make so much more sense than the cowardly way people do war today where they go and attack schools and hospitals and, 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 and people that have no, able, no ability to defend themselves? You know, the terrorists are really cowards today. and We don't need to get into that, but what a great idea. One man against one man, fight it out, and then whoever wins, that's the end. And David can't figure out why there isn't one Israelite who will go and fight this man. Because he understands it's not the man fighting, but it's God fighting. So as Goliath continues on and on and on about how great he is, David says, Who's going to go fight this guy? And what's the king going to do for the person who fights this guy and beats him for his family? What's the king going to do? You can't even find the king. The king should be the first guy out there to fight. You know, the king wasn't a short person by his... The Bible tells us when they chose Saul to be king that he stood what? Head and shoulders above everyone else. He probably was only a foot and a half, two feet shorter than Goliath. Now, that could be a big difference, but still, he should have been out there representing the nation of Israel, not just in the one fighting, but in the spiritual battle. He should have been the leader. Instead, he's off someplace and they have to go find him. And so it says that the word spread, and Saul heard that there was a man who was willing to fight Goliath. Oh, yes, there's somebody who's going to do it. And so bring this, bring this person before me, he says. So in comes this young man, probably a teenager. His name's David. And Saul looks at him and says, you can't go fight Goliath. You're, you're small. You're just a boy. Who, who, do you, who do you think you are? And David explains to him, listen, look, uh... I know that I'm small, but I, kept, I take care of my father's sheep. And one time, a, a, a lion came out to take the sheep and to, to destroy the flock. He said, And I grabbed the lion by the beard and I slew the lion. And another time, a bear came out and was going to take the sheep. And I went up against that bear and I slew the bear. And just as, here's the key, just as God delivered the lion and the bear into my hand, so he will do with this Philistine, this uncircumcised dog who dares defy the armies of the living God. I'm the one, not me, God is going to give me deliverance, and he's going to take the battle on. Let's go do it. So Saul says, okay, all all, all right, I I hear you, but listen... You at least need to take the necessary steps. Put my armor on. Now remember, Saul is head and shoulders above all the Israelites, right? And David is still a boy. So Saul says, and of course we know and understand that the king's armor is the best, right? Because the king's got to be the guy protected when they go into battle. So the problem is, Saul is head and shoulders above everyone else, David's a boy, and David puts this armor on, he can't even walk. Oh, he says, I can't, no, never mind, I don't need this. I'm going to trust my God. I'm going to go fight against him with God's power, the armor of God. Now, that's a little different armor than we have today available to us through Ephesians chapter 6. But nonetheless, David says, I'm going in the power and the strength of my God. So he went over and he grabbed five stones out of a brook. He took his shepherd's staff and he starts to walk out into the middle of the valley where Goliath is shooting off his mouth. And Goliath says, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? Why do you send a boy to do a man's job? And David looks up at Goliath and he says, <laughs> he says, you listen. He says, you come to me in the strength of all your armory, all your weaponry. I'm coming to you in the strength of the Lord my God. And my God is going to give me victory today and I'm going to chop your head off and I'm going to feed the bodies of the Philistine army to the birds of the air. Oh, you think so, huh? Let's get at it. So David, what does he do? He does something that nobody else was willing to do. He runs toward the giant. He reaches into his pocket. He grabs out one of his stones. He puts it into his sling and he starts to wind it up and he lets it go. Now, what is the chance of David's stone hitting Goliath right between the eyes? It's not like we've got a, a, a rifle with a scope, 50 caliber, that's gonna take his head off. He can perch somewhere up and no. He's got this sling and he's got this stone and he's winding it up and he lets it go and and the song says one little stone went into the sling and the sling went round and round and one little prayer went into the sky, into the heavens where the God of the universe resides, the God of the Israelites resides. God heard that prayer, God answered that prayer and God took that stone and put it right between Goliath's eyes. And the giant came crashing down. Don't you love that part of the song? And the giant came tumbling down. All right? So we see that David, stoned by the, by the guidance of God, struck the Philistine giant in the head, took him down, and David walks over. I'd like to know where the armor bearer for, for Goliath was, but he must have ran away once he saw. Him. Maybe, maybe the giant fell on him. I don't know. But he didn't do anything to protect Goliath after he fell. So David goes over, he grabs Goliath's sword, and probably with as much strength as he had, he picks up the sword and he drops it down and he chopped off Goliath's head. You know what their Philistine army did? They turned tail and ran. And it didn't take long for the Israelite army to say, hey, we got him on the run. So they, they pursued him and they slew them. They, If we can use the word, and it's not a bad sense of the word, they slaughtered the the Philistine army. God gave them a great victory on that day. The Bible says David picked up Goliath's head, and he took it, and he presented it to the king. God did this. God gave us victory. God beat the Philistines on that day. Can I tell you something? It's not a surprise. I hope it's not a secret. That same God that gave David victory over Goliath is our God. He's the same God that saved you and I. He's the same God who years later would send his son to the cross of Calvary. Not as an afterthought, but as a forethought. He knew in eternity past that he was going to send his son to the cross who was going to give us the greatest victory. Greater than the victory over Goliath. The greatest victory in all of history the victory over sin and the victory over eternal death, separation from God. What a great victory that was given to David, but we have a greater victory given to us. This event of David defeating Goliath was was an event that caused the Israelites to rejoice. It brought back hope to the Israelites. They now knew that God was on their side. They were reminded that nothing could stop them from accomplishing what God would have them accomplish. They could live in faith. And this morning, that's what our focus is. Our focus is living in faith, walking in faith, growing in faith. And so we want to now dissect this event that happened in history, this this true life story. What What can we learn from it? So let's ask God to bless our time together in his word, and then we're going to see if we can learn something from the story of David and Goliath. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Wow, what a great story. Makes us excited even as we think about it today of how you took a young shepherd boy and you, you gave his stone the, that came out of his sling the most accurate landing spot between the eyes of the nemesis of the Israelite army, the enemy of God. But Father, you directed that stone to have the greatest impact. And as you directed that stone, you are able today to direct our lives to have the greatest impact. You're able to give us wisdom and direction as we submit to the pages of Scripture and the teaching of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we'd ask, Lord, that as we look at this passage in more detail, uh, that we would learn from it, that we would be able to understand how we can apply faith more uh, often in our lives, regularly, if you will. Father, bless our time in your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, how do we put? How do we get this same kind of faith that David had active in our lives? Well, it's already active. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have that faith. And here's the good thing: we don't have to go looking for that faith. We don't have to try and find it on our own, because if we read in or gone out of my head. If we read Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, what does it say there? The faith has been given to us by God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. We can't get this faith by working something up. This faith comes from God. He implanted it in our hearts. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So this faith is not our own faith, but it's the faith that comes to us through our great God. Now, as you think back on this story, you may be asking a question. Um, Well, here's the question. David had certain responsibilities, and he fulfilled, he faithfully fulfills his responsibilities. David does what's required of him or asked of him. How does that happen, Pastor? What were his responsibilities? He was just a young shepherd boy. Well, remember we said that David was being obedient to his father? His father said, David, take these things. And what did David do? He obeyed. Here's some things about David. David tended his father's sheep. He was a shepherd boy. And yes, he was a king in waiting, but right now in his life, he was just a shepherd boy. And I say just a shepherd boy. That's what he was doing. That's what God wanted him to do at that point in his life. Tend his father's sheep. So that's what he did. He could have gone out and done a lot of other things. He could have been practicing all day long his slingshot maneuvers. But he was faithfully tending his father's sheep. He was taking care of those sheep, the few sheep that they had in the wilderness, and they needed those sheep to keep them alive. It was their livelihood, if you will. David simply did what God wanted him to do, and most of the time he was doing it all by himself, not where there was a great spectacle of people looking at him, seeing him do such a magnificent job of tending the sheep. Anything that came up that the sheep needed, he took care of it whether it was defeating a lion or a bear or whether it was rescuing one that had fallen off the side of a hill or whether it was preparing the pasture for them or whether it was leading them beside still waters, whatever it was, David did it and he did it very well. So what does that mean to you and I? Wherever you are in your life today, wherever God has placed you, whatever it is he has asked you to do, do it. Big or small. We used to have a thing hanging up in our bathroom. I don't even know what happened to it. Um, But it used to say, um, great opportunities for serving God seldom come, but little ones surround us daily. Wherever it is that God has placed you today in your life, tomorrow, in your work week, whatever it is, do it, do it well, and do it faithfully. That's what David did. He tended his father's sheep. We also see that David took supplies to the battlefront. According to verse 17, David was instructed by his father to take some supplies to his brothers who were fighting against the Philistines with King Saul. Jesse didn't want to just bless his. How many of you have been away from home for an extended period of time and gotten care packages in the mail? We got care packages in Africa quite often. Little things like packages of Kool-Aid. You know, we would Barb's mom and dad or my mom, what do you guys need? They would write, what do you need? Kool-Aid. Because, you know, I'm sorry, our South African friends that are listening, it just didn't cut it. The O-Ross, it was good, but it was only really one or two flavors. Kool-Aid, you get a whole bunch of flavors. And so they would send us, her dad would send us in a, eight, in a regular size business envelope, he would put like five or six packages of Kool-Aid in that envelope, tape them one piece of tape across the top so they would all stay together, not shift around, and jam the thing when they ran it through the meter to read how much weight it cost and all that kind. Of, and he figured it all out. He knew how many could go for a, an airmail stamp, all that kind of stuff. And, and so, m- almost every letter they sent us, they sent us Kool-Aid. And you know what? We shared the Kool-Aid. One of our friends, he would come on. The first time he had, it, he said, oh, he says, this stuff is really good. Where do you get it? Oh, our friends send it to us. Our, our parents send it to us. So he called it petrol. I says, he come into the house and says, Pastor, you got any petrol today? If we didn't, we'd make it because we always had it available. Sometimes somebody else in South Africa must like it too because we started, when we came back from South Africa, we started sending it to, to Charlie and it didn't ever get there. So somebody must have found it and said, oh, this is good stuff, and they, they liked it more than Charlie did or like as much, and Charlie didn't get it. But anyway, they would send us these things, and then, of course, a couple times a year, they would send us other things. They would send us a Christmas package, okay? And they would, they would it's crazy, because they would, they, would, they would fill the whole box, and I mean fill the box, okay? We found Tootsie Rolls in places you wouldn't think you could put Tootsie Rolls, stuffed them into little things, little spots, and and you're, you're opening them up, and the Tootsie Rolls are falling all over the place. Our kids wouldn't eat them. We had dachshunds, little miniature dachshunds. So you want some Tootsie Rolls? No, that looks like what Buffy does in the backyard. Finally, he said, just taste it, just try it. So once they got, you know, once they ate one, it was, that was it, you know, but, but it was, fun. you know, it just demonstrated the love that they had for us. Other people would send us other things. Uh, we had people send, it didn't work out so well, we had a church one time send us a care package with cookies in it. You have to realize this stuff gets shipped to us in a boat, okay? When it leaves your house, we don't see it for like six weeks. The cookies, they weren't green when they started, but they were green by the time they got to us. But that's okay. They had good intentions. And there was other good stuff in the box as well. My mom, she would tell me, I have to get somebody to carry the box to the post office because she couldn't carry. She had so much stuff in the box. It was such a blessing to get those care packages. We see commercials on TV about military personnel who get a care package from home. Oh, man. This shows that they are loved and they are missed and they are honored and respected and revered. Jesse says to David, take a care package to your brothers. Hey, you know what? Bar's mom came to visit us. Mom and dad came twice to visit us. My mom came once to visit us. You know what? It was, there was no better way to get a care package than to have a hand delivered by your by your loved ones, by your family. And so can you, you would think that when David brought this care packs to the brothers, they were like, oh, wow, thank you. It's got, you know, it's got the jerky. It's got all of our favorite stuff in it because dad knew exactly what the favorite stuff was. He sent it to them. He sent stuff to the commanders and to the leading officers. And you know what the most important thing David's job was to do? Not just to deliver the care package, but Jesse said, I want you to go, deliver this stuff, and then come back to me and bring word of the welfare of your brothers. He was concerned for them. He wanted to know that they were okay. Not just that they were still alive, but they were mentally and physically, they were okay, they were thriving in their life as where God had placed them at that point in time. It's going to be amazing to see what God can do with a young man, or anyone for that matter, who is obedient to the small things in life. You know, things like doing what your parents tell you to do. We've got a a lot of young people. And it's important for you to do what you're told to do. To honor your mom and your dad, to be obedient, to do it. Why do I have to go shovel the sidewalk? Because that's what my dad said to do. Why do I have to dust the, the whatever, the furniture? Because it's helping mom out. Mom told you to do it. Mom asked you to do that. Why do I have to do my homework? Because you need to learn your studies. You need to do them well. You need to be prepared for life. You see, all the things that mom and dad tell you to do, the things that your teachers tell you to do, the things that your boss tells you to do at your part-time job, they are preparing you, they are grooming you, they are getting you ready to do the next thing that God asks you to do. If David would have said to his dad, I don't want to go take care of the sheep today, he would have not have had the opportunity to defeat the lion and the bear and be ready and prepared to defeat Goliath. The little things that we do provide us with the opportunities, the preparation, and the maturing to do the next thing that God wants us to do. David was obedient. David was being groomed for a much greater job. David was obedient in the small things so he could learn to be obedient in the bigger things. Before David became king, he became a soldier. The greatest soldier of Israel at the time. Remember the song the women of Israel used to sing? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. If David was unwilling to be prepared by God beforehand, he would not have been the the great soldier that God made him into. We have to be willing to do the things that God calls us to do. And that's all part of being obedient to God's plan and God's will for your life. We also see that David's fear of the Lord calls him to action in verse 10 of chapter 17 and then verses 23 through 32. He was called to action because of his fear of the Lord. And can I remind you that the fear of the Lord is not being afraid that God's going to send a lightning bolt out of heaven to strike you dead. Now, let me say that at any moment in time, God can take you home, whatever it is he has ordained for that to happen. But he's not a God who's sitting up in heaven waiting to zap you when you step out of line. That's not the way God is. He's a, I mean, we just finished studying 2 Peter, right? And it says, God is long suffering towards us all. He's a long suffering God. He, he will judge you if he needs to, but that's not his first course of action. He's patient with us, he's endu- he endures with us. The fear of the Lord is something far greater. The fear of the Lord is the awe and the reverence and and just the the straight-out love that we have and desire we have to obey Him. The fear of the Lord is a person who lives by faith, who understands who God is from the pages of Scripture and wants to please Him with their life. There are things in this story that we've read that could have paralyzed David with fear. I mean, can you imagine? He's a teenager and he goes to deliver this stuff to his, his brothers and he sees this nine foot six inch giant out there running off of the mouth about how impotent the God of Israel is and how worthless the Israelite army is. I, I don't know about you, but I might be afraid of that. I mean, I'm a shorter person anyway. Um. But to see somebody that big, even if you're six foot, nine foot, six inches, is big. And it could scare you. It could paralyze. Obviously, the rest of the Israel army was paralyzed by fear. That's why they wouldn't go face him. David, however, was not. Let's take this a little bit further and see how the fear of the Lord caused him to move into action. First of all, we see Goliath's insults and Israel's inaction. Goliath said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. I defy you. I am, I am throwing out the ultimate challenge. And this ultimate challenge is not like when you're playing uh, in your backyard and says, whoever wins this round is the champion of the universe. I mean, we did that all the time, right? I can't tell you how many champions of the world we had in a week's time. You see, David or Goliath says, I defy. The armies of Israel this day. You guys can't do it. It's impossible for you to do it. You will never defeat me. I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man that we might fight together. The Israelite army, when David says, Why is everybody so afraid? They say, Have you seen this guy? Have you he's come up, he surely has come up to defy Israel. Do you see him? Nobody in their right mind would want to go against him. David says, you got to love David's response, right? And, And can I tell you this? It's not out of naivety. It's out of faith in God. David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who does this guy think he is? Talking about our God that way. He doesn't have any right to talk about God that way boy, should we have that kind of zeal and fervor for our God? How many times a day do you hear the name of the Lord taken in vain and don't say anything about it? (laughs) David says, who does he think he is? He can't talk about my God that way. He had a deep personal relationship with God he says, you're not going to talk about my God that way. And so after the insults and the inaction, we see David's intervention and the incredible feats that he lists as his resume. David's brother Eliab asked the question, what, who, who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? You know, that's, the, that's how we live. You shouldn't be here. What are you doing here anyway? David's answer is, what have I done now? It seems like maybe that's a normal thing for Eliab to say to David uh, to, to, to ridicule him and to give him a hard time for uh, things that he thought he should be doing as the older brother. Because, you know, the older brother always knows better, right? I was the youngest, by the way. Um, anyway, David says, What have I done wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just doing what I was told to do. And then he says, And by the way, isn't there a cause? Isn't there reason to stand up to this this giant? Who does he think he is? David can't understand why his brother is so upset with him. Goliath is mocking the army of Israel, and in essence, he's mocking the very God of the Israelites. David was willing to defend God's honor when it doesn't appear that anybody else was willing to defend God's honor. While tending his father's sheep, David said, Hey, look, God has, has protected me in the, in the, when I've done my sheep shepherding. When I've taken care of the sheep, God has taken care of me. One time, he says, one time a bear came, one time a lion came. And you know what? I was able by God's grace and power and wisdom to defeat this army. Now we're not told how David killed the animals, but there's no doubt that these animals are two of the most fierce animals a man, not let alone a boy, could ever face. I mean, I'm not, we, we went to an animal park in South Africa, and the one thing that they, I mean, I had this thing on the, uh, as you drove in, you had to drive in through one gate and then stop, and, and at that point in time, both gates were closed, Okay. And then while you were sitting there with those gates closed, it says, big letters, do not stop. Keep the car moving. Okay? So we get in. They open up the gate. We get in, and we see the sign that says go where the feeding spot is. And, and they said that there's, this, is what, this is the time the feeding in. It just so happened it was right at the right time. We were going to be there for a feeding. Um, and so we drove down to see the feeding of the animals, the lions. They fed them. Oh, that was cool. We saw it. So we backed up the car and we're to go. And it's not a very big area, but there's a, there's a circle drive. And you leave, you go out the gate, you go down and back around, you come back up to the, same, to the gate. Okay, so we're in there and there's this one lion just sitting over here. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I, I said, don't, why don't you uh, get the video camera out? No, 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 I'm not going to get the video camera. Come on, get the video camera. No, no, no. So I got the video camera out. And while we're stopped, I'm getting the video camera out. I won't tell you why. I mean, I told you why. I'm getting the video camera out, and, and I, I look up, and all of a sudden, the lion is no longer sitting down. He's up, and he's looking at us, and he's like, hmm, I wonder what you guys taste like. So Barbara says, keep moving, keep moving but I'm getting the video camera ready. So, so I take my foot off the brake and I coast forward a little bit and the, animal, the lion sits right back down. Nice and docile, nice and calm. And I say, okay, I want to get a pic, because wanna- we'll never see a lion this close again. I, I want to get a picture of him. So what do I do? Stop the car. And as soon as I stop the car, the lion gets up. And he starts walking towards the car. I'm taking pictures. I mean, I'm like, come on. What's what, what are you supposed to do, right? So Buck says, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. So I finally take my foot off the brake, and I keep moving. And the lion, now he's, he's really interested in us because we were just in a, like, a I think it was a four-door sedan. It wasn't a big vehicle. Um, and so he's not that much bigger than he is. So, I mean, he's like a brave lion. He's going to see, hey, what is this? What are we, what's this guy? Gonna, who's going to give in first? So as I keep moving, I'm moving slowly and I'm taking pictures as I go by the lion and, fi- and the lion's getting closer and closer. I mean, he probably was, I don't know, from here to the wall away from us by this point in time. You know how far lions can jump in one, you know, like, a, like in a single bound, okay? Um, so we finally uh, keep moving around and he, he follows us. He's now, this is my domain. What are you doing in my territory? He follows us around till we get to the gate. And of course, they open the gate, we walk in and they close the gate and finally Barb calm, you know, her heart stopped, stopped beating as fast as it was beating before. Uh, they opened the other gate, we drove out, everything was fine. But you know, lions can be fierce. Another time Barb's mom and dad were with us, we went up to a, a, a park in South Africa and we were down on this road where we found out later we shouldn't have been on. But we see these lions lying down in the grass. You thought I was bad? Barb's dad opens up the van door, and he's holding on. He's kind of hanging out, and he's got his cam- I said, hey, you might want to close the door. No, 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 i got to get a good picture. No, no, no. I said, these are not tame animals, okay? These are really live, wild animals. They can turn on you in a second, and you'll be gone. Please, close the door. Okay, okay, so finally he got his last picture and closed the door. You see, these, these are real dangerous animals. They can kill you with one slap of the paw. That's a, have you ever seen a lion's paw? They are huge. We, we've seen the footprint they leave behind. They are massive. David says, God delivered them into my hand. And as God delivered them into my hand, he will deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. You know, that was about the worst thing you could say about another person if you were an Israelite. Uncircumcised. Uncircumcised. You know what that means? Not one of us. Not one of God's people. Not one of the chosen. They're about as equal as a dog in the eyes of the Israelites. And dogs weren't pets back then, by the way. They were useless creatures that could sometimes be vile and vicious. This uncircumcised dog has no right talking about our God that way. Somebody should do something about it. And if nobody else will, David said, I will, by God's grace. Well, we need to continue moving on. We see here in our text this morning that David's faith fells Goliath. How did David defeat Goliath? It wasn't by the stone and the slingshot. David was presented to King Saul. Oh, we found somebody. Let's bring him up. Give him to Saul. Word reaches Saul that there was a man who was willing. David comes to him, and Saul says, You're just a boy. I thought we had somebody who would do the job. You can't do it. You're too small. David assures Saul that he can get the job done, not because of his skills, but because of his God. Not because he was a great warrior but because he was a, a boy who had great faith. David practices with Saul's armor. Saul felt the best thing he could offer was his armor. So David tries it on. He can't walk around. He can't use it. He can't do anything in it. He says, no, no, no. He says, "That's thanks for the offer, but it's not for me. He gives the armor back to Saul. He goes and he gets his weapons of choice, his stones, his stones and his shepherd staff, things he was familiar with. But most importantly, he was armed with faith. So David then approaches the Philistine. Instead of the armor that Saul wanted him to wear, he takes the staff, he takes the stones, he goes out to the battlefield, he approaches Goliath, and Goliath is completely ticked off. Now, it's one thing to have a giant standing in front of you. It's another thing to have a mad giant standing in front of you. Okay? So this mad giant, he's like, What do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are coming out to me? You're just a boy. I love David's reply. I kind of hinted at it, but let me read it for you so you get the full power of his reply. In the pages of Scripture, it says. Your trust is in the weapons you carry into the battlefield, and you think you're going to win with those weapons. I come to face you in the name of the Lord God of heaven. He is going to, notice he said he, not I. He, the Lord God of heaven, is going to defeat you today. And the armies of Israel are going to kill the Philistines, and the birds and the beasts of the field, birds and the beasts will feed on the bodies of the dead Philistines. Now, you think he was mad before that? He's really mad now. So Goliath starts to move into attack mode. And instead of David turning and running, like the rest of the Israelites had done all, all the whole time, David runs straight at Goliath. He hits him with the stone, and then he cuts off his head, and the onslaught of the Philistines began. God gave Israel a great victory that day. There's a song that if you listen to the the Christian radio station, you've probably heard it. It's called The Voice of Truth. I'm just going to read the second verse of that song to you. Oh, what I would do to have the kind of strength it takes to stand before a giant with just a sling and a stone. Listen to this line. Surrounded by the sound of warriors shaking in their armor, wishing they had had the strength to stand. But the giant's calling out my name and laughs at me. Reminding of all the times I've tried before and failed, the giant keeps on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. But the stone was just the right size to put the giant on the ground. And the waves, they don't seem so high from on top of them looking down. I will soar with the wings of eagles when I stop and listen to the sound of Jesus. I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. The voice of truth. That's what David went out armed with. The voice of truth. Acting in faith. How, did, how was he acting in faith? Did not God tell the Israelites they were going to possess the land? Did not God say, I will give you victory over your enemies? He did. He did. That's what David was acting in, what God said. Let's not misunderstand what faith is. Faith is not what I think it is. Faith is not what somebody else says it is. Faith is believing that God will do what he says he will do and ordering my life accordingly. So as we conclude this morning, let me just remind you of what it takes to make a person of faith. what it it requires to be victorious in difficult situations. David faithfully fulfilled his responsibilities. If we want to be victorious, we must be faithful to do what God calls us to do. We must do what God says I want you to do, and he's not going to open up the clouds and speak to you in an audible voice. He's going to impress it upon your heart. He's going he's to give you a desire in your heart, and it won't be satisfied until you obey that calling. Faithfully fulfill the responsibilities God gives to you. David's fear of the Lord calls him to action. Fear of the Lord does not mean being afraid that God's going to wipe you out but it means you have an awe and a respect of him and you're going to do all that you do for him out of the love that you have for him that was inspired by the love he has for you and you will defend him no matter what the cost is. Faithfully, The fear of the Lord will call you to action. And then we saw that David's faith fell as Goliath the giant. If we're going to be victorious in the battles we face in life, no matter what they are, We have to be people of faith. We have to believe that God is able to do anything and everything he says he will do and follow through with that. We would all agree that David, even though he was just a teenager, was a man of faith. And we know that faith comes from hearing and obeying the word of God. But oftentimes we still feel something's missing in activating our faith. What is it? Let me remind you of the words of another song, also on the radio. It goes like this, second verse again. Maybe the second verses are dedicated to David and Goliath, I'm not sure, but here's the words. I'm calling on the God of Mary whose favor rests upon the lowly. I know with you all things are possible. I'm calling on the God of David who made a shepherd boy courageous I may not face Goliath, but I've got my own giants. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. Oh, I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. Not my faithfulness, your faithfulness. You've heard your children then, you hear your children now. You are the same God. You answered prayers back then, and you will answer prayers now. You pro- you were providing then; you are providing now. You moved in power then; God move in power now. You were a healer then; you're a healer now. You were a savior then; you are a savior now. O oh, Rock, O oh, Rock of Ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. What else is it besides the word that activates our faith? It is our calling out upon God, our willing to admit that we can't do it on our own strength, and God, we need you. We need your strength. We need your power. We need to put ourselves in the backseat and let God have that first place in our lives where we simply obey the pages of Scripture and live out what he has called us to do. O rock, O rock of ages, I'm standing in Your faithfulness. Not my own, because mine fails. But what does Scripture say? When I am faithless, God is faithful. Because he can be nothing else. It's part of his nature. It's part of who he is. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. Father, we are absolutely confident. We believe that your word is what allows us to move forward to honor and glorify you father it is your word that gives us wisdom it is your word that gives us um, all that is necessary to live a godly life so father help us be individuals who are committed to your word individuals who do exactly what you ask us to do help us then also father to be people who are people of prayer who will go before you and confess our inabilities while trusting and relying upon your great grace, your great strength, your great power. Father, you are a great God, worthy of all of our praise and all of our glory. Father, you are able to deliver us from whatever the difficulties are that we're facing as we rely upon you through your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom. Thanks for your word, because it contains all that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.